Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWR.com. It is uh, the new year. Happy New Year, man. Hopefully things are going well in the first two days of the uh, weird weather out West Virginia. So it's going to be awesome, right? Yeah, you know, battling the elements, which is a, a nice way to distract from the fact that we are officially in the college football offseason now. For the Mountain West, we are. There is still one game left, which doesn't include the Mountain West, but a former Mountain West team in TCU, which we'll get to. Yeah, we'll... we'll Briefly discuss it before the title game with some other Mountain West stuff mixed in because, Matt, it's all about people listening down there. If you put national title preview, people are like, ooh, what's this about? And so we may get a few extra people tuning in or downloading just because of that, which is also what we'd like to see in here. And maybe they'll like it and hang around for more. That's the goal. More well, football, like a swap Mountain West. We'll see. I'll, I'll I'll keep people apprised of the numbers of what happens if we get a spike in downloads, if we just put hmm. in good old SEO juice of TCU versus uh, Georgia national title game 2023. It's how that works out for everybody. <laughs> but what we're doing today, we have the Arizona Bowl we're going to talk about, but also a hire that's, is this kind of like a worst kept seeker with New Mexico hiring uh, Brian Vincent as a new OC? I mean, I, don't, I didn't think that they were just trying especially hard to keep it a secret, but it was... Or, uh, or at least being an official that, took like a week. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they had to you know go through 
probably some HR related things, and, you know, hoops of, of those kinds. Uh, anybody so the who's... thing where it's ask me post it for a week before anybody can really get the job, one of those deals, maybe. Yeah, probably something along those lines. But <laughs> Bryant Vincent, new OC at New Mexico. Love it. It's a good hire, isn't it? It is because UAB, like, Bill, I know there's, well, who cares about Trent Deal for Hire, which is going to ruin the program, in my opinion, like run it to the ground because they had, because Bill Clark brought the program back from literally the dead. They, if you don't know the story about it, go look up to it. But UAB football is basically killed because of Alabama, essentially, Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. campus on some level. Like, we don't want you to be good. We're the only team in town. We can't do this to Auburn. Let's go crush the little guy who's actually pretty good. So he brought them back from the dead. He, I'm using air quotes here, back issues during the summer to not be the head coach, even though Bob Bill Clark's been rumored or had been in the rumor mill for coaching cycle of this cycle to be considered for jobs. Does he even have mm. a job? I don't know if he got picked up anywhere. Like even as I don't believe team. so. But he's done a really dang good job building getting the program to winning conference, winning what one COSA title, I believe it was. One conference championship, I believe or title game, I believe, in UAB Blazers. Yes, I believe so. Somebody, but basically it's think of what SMU did. No team death penalty back in Eric Dickerson, Craig James, Pony Excess stuff to I know that conference were difficult, obviously, back in the day, Southwest. But he brought the Blazers back to be a really good, basically, okay, we're going to come out and be awesome, even though we didn't have a team for a couple of years. But he's been their coordinator for a while. Is it South Alabama? Who was she? I assume it's, it looks like the years you put in your articles, you put up a piece people should check out, where they beat San Diego State. I believe he was a coach on that staff at that time in South Alabama. Yeah, if, if memory you, serves, that game was in 2016, I believe. Okay. So he would have been, eh, I'm not sure if he's, okay. Yeah, 2014 UAB. Okay. He was there, he's at UAB twice. But basically, he's been part of a program where, heck, they know what they're doing. And they've had like a competent rusher, like you mentioned in Dwayne McBride this past year, who had 1,700 yards. That's pretty good. 19 touchdowns and good quarterback play. And I know the Lobos need players, but they also need a coach that's built a team from, Again, literally from nothing, just about when he's with Bill Clark there. I know talent-wise is differently, but he knows what, what he's doing to run a good offense. Now he just needs guys to get talent, which Mexico, they seem to have a good guy here or there, Matt. We know running backs come in, they transfer, come and go. They've had good running backs. Quarterback play has been the big issue. A couple receivers past couple of years have been fine. He needs to find a way to make the offense work, but also keep the players around. Because keeping the guys, I think, is more important, really, than the scheme they've been running because they when you lose talent year over year, it's hard to be good, even if you're a good coach. Yeah, I mean, I think the the quarterback situation is is definitely going to be like you know number one with a bullet in terms of the things that he's going to have to you know, to to fix. But at the same time, I think if you look at his track record at UAB, that if you're a Lobos fan, you should feel encouraged by the fact that Gonzalez was able to bring in somebody of his caliber, like you mentioned, Dwayne McBride. But to me, what's more important is that most recently, so over the past two seasons, 2021 and 2022, mm-hmm. UAB's quarterback Dylan Hopkins has been second in Conference USA by passer rating in each of those two seasons. It's good. It's really good. They need that. Yeah, and and he's not the only one that that he has been able to sort of shepherd too. You know, um, you know, wide receiver Austin Hawkins, Austin Watkins, excuse me, Junior, uh, in 2019 had. 
know, 57 catches, 192 yards, excuse me, 1,092 yards. Um, that was just, he was just the third player ever in program history to crack 1,000 yards. Um, you know, Tyler Johnston Jr. before Hopkins at quarterback, you know, threw for almost 5,000 yards in his career. I think he was a, a multi-year starter. Um, and so I think that track record of, of, building an explosive offense. And I think building is really sort of the operative word here because one thing that I think may get lost in the excitement a little bit is that it did take time for Vincent to get things going once he came back to Birmingham. You know, just in terms of like offensive SP plus, for example, like his first two years there were, if you just look at wins and losses, they were very successful years for, for UAB. But the offense in those years was in the triple digits. It was 108th in 2018 and 118th in 2019. And then it started climbing to 92nd, 48th. And then this past year before the bowl game that they played, um, right around the middle of the pack at 75th. And so I think, you know, as 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 much as you might want things to kind of come together in one year, what I think this shows is is they're willing to be patient to give Danny Gonzalez the time that he needs to build something that's sustainably successful. But I do think yeah. that you know Vincent, with his track record, that that Lobos fans can feel confident that he'll be the guy to team with Gonzalez in order to do that. It's a great move because he was the over for Bill Clark, the interim coach since middle of June, so he's been the head coach for a full season. At a program yeah. that's good. He ever, ever since the program was reinstated since 2017, he's coached in every five bowl games. The Gasparilla Bowls canceled in 2020, like many other were, where they would have played South Carolina, but they won two conference titles under his 10 years, two bowl game victories since 2018, I should say. Mm-hmm. But 2017, the amount of bowl games, that's a little bit different. But like they beat Middle Tennessee State in 18. They won over Marshall in the 2020 CSA title game. So him being around, like Bill Clark said, people love Bill Clark, and he kind of got he's like, like UAB, like we always mention the listen split zone duo and stuff. Like they do a great job at everything, but they mentioned UAB recently in a couple of shows because it's a meetup there. They're a program where Trent Dilfer, notwithstanding, it's stupid. I think it's it, who knows it could be right, but it's like and the service looks dumb. They have a pretty good new stadium. They brought the program back. They couldn't keep Bill Clark around. They don't keep their interim coach who. Did what what he kept going, what Bill Clark has been doing. Nothing's changed. Winning conference championships, going to bowl games, having awesome rushers, good quarterback play. And he's not even even retained. Like if I if think of the big picture job, like the I know the conferences are different, Mountain West to CUSA. And am I correct? Because I know the conferences are changing. Is UAB moving to the American? Is that their is that what they're that is correct? Saying? Okay. So Next, next, yeah, assuming next year, all those mess code going on. So, if you look at the job itself, would it had he been had Trent Dilfer said, Hey, you're gonna be our OC, same position? I'm assuming he would have stayed, right? Because that's a better gig. UAB is a better program at the moment, obviously. They're going to a conference that's teams leaving Cincinnati, UCF. It's about the same conference. Mount was probably touched a bit, bit better now, even more so better now with those teams leaving, but he would have probably stayed, right? Instead of going to Albuquerque, maybe. Like, I mean, it's hard. Like it's looking hard to at say, just the job, but... like the job itself. I would say UAB OC is a better job than New Mexico OC. Maybe, but it's also like the the, the Dilfer move is also of it's sort of in step with what a lot of other programs who are making that move have done too. Like you know, all, pretty much all of them that are that are moving up or 
I'd say a great deal Charlotte. of them have turned the page. You know, North Texas fired Seth Luttrell, brought in Eric Morris from Washington State. Um, Navy fired Ken uh, Neumatololo. Florida Atlantic has Tom Herman in. You know, Charlotte has a new head coach. Um, Tulsa has a new head coach. So, like, there's a lot of turnover in that in that particular cohort, the the new sort of new look American Conference. And so maybe that was just UAB's way of, of pushing their chips to the table to say, okay, we think Dilfer is going to be the guy to take it the next step. But it's definitely a high had... risk, high reward. No, I mean, I'm not saying I. Agree I don't with know the if there's I'm a high saying, reward, dude. I th- I say high risk, low reward. What is Trevor Dilfer going to do? I think this was the worst hire of any FBS coach they've had since mid middle late June to find their guy at a program that's a dang good program at this level. And they bring in the guy who can barely coach high school. Because they think his connections with Elite Eleven are is going to be great. I'm like, dude, this is. I'm glad New Mexico got this guy because he he's leaving a, mat, a place where it's going to be a complete disaster. I think. I know you know what I think I would t- tend to agree with you. You know, one, one team's like loss is another's <laughs> game. So New Mexico has their OC. Does this put any pressure on Danny Gonzalez? Because this is going to be year three. To do any or no, no year four, right? Twenty, no, yeah, uh, yeah, year four, correct? So he's hired in twenty twenty mm-hmm. for that season. So is there much pressure to hey, if you don't do well, you're out? Like I don't think they have the money to get rid of him even with one year left after the season. I think that they're willing to give him and Vincent time. So I think that's what seasons? this hire tells me, and it'll be really interesting because we also still don't know who's going to replace Rocky Long as the defensive coordinator either. That's true. That for yeah, they got to fill that job too. That's a big, big shoes to fill as well. And I don't think David yeah. Gonzalez should be doing both at this tenure. So I, I do think that they, they recognize the situation that they are in, where you know, same as as other teams who have seen you know talent exodus is you know the transfer portal in particular, that New Mexico may have a tougher time than a lot of other teams in the conference hanging on to their high end talents. But if, if Vincent and his track record can can do what he did at Birmingham one more time, then I do think like if you if you if you're not necessarily focused on 2023 specifically, that that his acumen, the you know, the two of them together may start opening the competitive window two years from now. And I think that's sort of where you start looking, at least to, from my perspective. Yeah, real quick look at their non-conference schedule next two years. It's winnable who they play. They they go to Texas A&M. Obviously, that's going to be a, a not a win. Tennessee Tech, they should beat the FCS school. They host Mexico State and go to UMass. That's a really potential 3-1 and one record there, possibly. Like, win three winnable games, I should say. In 2024... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hedge a little bit. I think New Mexico State's probably got the upper hand in this rivalry right now. I'm going to say winnable game. It's not. A, I'm not going to say they're going to lose, guarantee. It's like it's a winnable game. I, I do agree. New Mexico State going to bowl game, and they're a better program at the moment. But I would not. I would not say that. I would not chalk that up as a loss right now. Yeah, for New yeah. Mexico. No, I get I'd lean lean out. You know, like three winnable games. That's what I'm getting at. And then mm-hmm. next year, who who made their non conference for 2024? They have three non con games. They they might go 0 and 4 in 2024. Montana State at home, at Arizona, at Auburn, at New Mexico State. Got to so... pay the bills, Jeremy. <laughs> Got to pay the bills. I, I know. What is this? 2001 Utah State? Come on. What's going on here? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I get it. That's going to be give them almost $3 million. 
of games. It, but, but, and, uh, and I will also remind you again, and I'm sure that we'll all say this again in, in some way, shape or form as we get into the spring and the summer next year, this, this year, rather, they literally have no place to go but up on the offense. I hope so. No, no, no. I mean, I mean that literally. Were they 131? They were, they, were, <laughs> they were dead last in points per drive and dead last in available yards percentage per drive. So when I say that, I mean it. But guess what? They could still say the same, so that wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> just, just say it. Uh, anything else to add about the hire, or do we need to move on to the bowl game here? I think we're all set on that front for now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so keep an eye out for stuff we have on MWR, Twitter, and everything for the Lobos' uh, next hire for defensive coordinator, which will be just as big. All right, so the Arizona Bowl, Ohio 30. Wyoming 27. Overtime loss, unfortunately. Like you meant, were you the one who put, I assume it is you because I didn't put on Twitter, don't play Ohio in the bowl games, Mountain West teams. Was that in our DMs from somebody no, else? No, that was uh, that was from Hustle Belt, our, our friend oh, over there, okay. Nation. Yes, those guys are great. Okay, that fair point. They, uh, they're they pretty good in Mountain West. So it gets to Mountain West. So it ended up being, it'll kind of go backwards. Overtime, Wyoming kicked a field goal to go first because they gained only a handful of yards. And then the touchdown, they scored on the what ten yard um, pass play to win the game to go win thirty twenty seven. So the big question about this game, which we want to know, who the heck's gonna run the ball for Wyoming? And it looked to be two players, but most well, Peasley doesn't count in my opinion. Let me back up there, quarterback, which he knows we know he's to run. We have Jordan Vaughn, who had sixteen carries, sixty seven yards, a couple touchdowns, and it could that's a good sign for a lot of these bowl games. We want to look till next year, look until or look forward till next season. Because with Cowboys, they had Titus Swen transfer and then a bunch of injuries. So everybody else, if I recall, was there any? Were there any other opt outs officially? Or was it all injury related for the Cowboys running game? I honestly 
spacing on that at the moment. No, I mean, other than the, the transfer portal departures, which we already knew about ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and I think that the main injuries, especially at running back, were with Dwayne McNeely and DQ James. That's why I thought, okay, I was making sure, yeah. But, okay. but so, Vaughn looked, I mean, he, he showed a little something. Mm-hmm. Like he, oh, did. He, he, his longest run was runs, only 17 couple. yards. It was that, that first touchdown that he scored in the first quarter. And, and maybe you, know, you give some credit to the Ohio defense for, for stepping up and, and making it tougher to run than I think maybe a lot of people would have expected. You know, the Bobcats ended up with four sacks and, and six TFLs on the day. Yeah. But, you know, Vaughn looked, yeah, I, I think that at a minimum he showed enough to be at least a piece of the puzzle going into 2023, you know, because you figure McNeely and James are probably going to be one, two. Oh, yeah, going sure. into spring on the depth chart, but Vaughn, given Wyoming's propensity for using a number of guys in the in the backfield, seems like a guy who should continue to contribute at a minimum. And this is the first game he played all season as well. Like we mentioned, the guy said the running backs come in had zero carries in yeah. FBS action, and so for Vaughn to come in and have a respectable game and finding the end zone twice, that I would we did not expect a guy to. Come- don't have 100 yards or anything, but to come in and go for 67 yards just for four edge carries, it's a solid, solid outing. The other guys like Sam Scott had a couple carries, you had Jaden Clemens, a few other guys here or there, but it seemed like, okay, Vaughn's going to be the guy, and he got off to a pretty good start, touchdown, they did quite well moving the ball. Yeah, I mean, they, they, got, they got creative in, in ways that I didn't necessarily expect. You know, the, their longest run, oddly enough, was from Peasley. It was that 22-yard run. True. But yeah, you mentioned Jaden Clemens, who came in specifically to run a couple of quarterback draw type plays. So it, it it wasn't like they were trying to hold anything back in order to to find a solution against this Bobcats defense, and it worked out okay, I guess. I mean, first quarter, they're fourteen to eight. They had us. They're kind of doing doing reasonably well in the first quarter, and then it kind of slowed down a little. Oh, I was kind of figure things out. Yeah, I mean, because after you adjust for sack yardage, the, the Cowboys ended up averaging 4.7 yards per carry, which that's not bad. Like, that's yeah. a little under, I think, what they managed for the season at large. But given the circumstances, I have to, you probably have to chalk that up as a, as a little bit of a victory, at least. Yeah, because like, in the game overall, like, they're up 17 11 at halftime. And, yeah, and I think you know one of the one of the things that really stood out to me is like you know they they used the running game and and the sh- and I think to a certain extent the short passing game to really put themselves in positions to stay on schedule in a lot of respects. Like they were seven of nine on passes, you know, five yards or, or less. But I think more importantly to me is the fact that they were also seven of eleven on third downs that were four yards and fewer. Yeah, they they made play and then. There's a couple things too. Like that's obviously a great thing they did offensively there. What they were getting those first downs. A couple, only a couple things like uh, the defense helped them too. Like this game could have been a little bit different because Ohio missed a field goal. Wyoming had the fumble, but then they were able to force a punt. So this game could have been gone a few different ways had Ohio been able to take advantage of a couple of situations like mm-hmm. scoring, like missed field goal. The they get the ball where they get that fumble in the first half, like midfield or something. And they barely believe, yeah. the ball. Oh no, twenty-five yard line. Sorry, no, no, it's sorry. That's ESPN box score screwing me again. Sorry, just a fumble, and they they had to punt in midfield. It's like fourth and nine mm-hmm. at their own forty-four. I'm like, uh, I guess punt at that situation, but that then scoring direct left out in one play, which was a mate, which helped them be up fourteen eight. But then it was 
offense was just it was we know their offense isn't great. They put up 27 points, but there's too many. Like the, the, the that, offense basically disappeared five, for two full quarters. Yeah, like the end of the first second quarter, like they had five punt, five play punts, six play punts, end of downs, which that doesn't really count. Like you're two four um wait, why is my my freak man, I Matt, I need to go just use that broadcast. So I'm like, oh, end of the half, they didn't score. No, they got a field goal, that long field goal. So there's that. No, band, I mean, let's, I mean, they right. had they had in the second and third quarters they punt, had punt, punt, three yards of total offense. Yeah, I'm just saying, like they got one to one field goal, but then looking through it, like if you're they're just three and out, like the start second half too, like it kept going, like okay, they defense did their thing, like they it was a punt fest in that third quarter, back and forth, back and forth until Ohio broke through with that fifty uh, not fifty fifty four yard drive or fifty six yard drive, excuse me, with the short touchdown, mm-hmm. but defenses were doing fine, like both of them were slowing each other down. But then again, Andrew Beasley has the interception on his first play. They just couldn't score until that touchdown late in the game to go up 24 21. And then Ohio had the long, a nice 10 play drive after the match it to tie the game to go to overtime essentially. Cause while I mean, two plays after the kickoffs, like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, just play safe there and don't screw it up and lose the ball. Yeah. I mean, I do just- wonder, I do wonder how much the Wyoming defense missed Olusei Omotosho in particular. Of course, especially so, because yeah. you know one of his compatriots on the you know on the edge of the defensive line, Braden Siders, had a great game. You know, six solo tackles, two sacks, three TFLs. Like he played exceptionally well, right, and, and came up with that day. Yeah, and, and came up with a lot of big plays to to really put Ohio behind the eight ball on 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 a several different occasions. It seemed like every time he made a play, it was it was a big one. Because neither offense played extremely well. Like CJ Harris, the QB, which we talked about the backup playing, he was completely high percentage, but only had 184 yards on 20 mm-hmm. completions. And mostly, I guess, well, I should rephrase that passing game, the running game with Ben Gura there had 138 yards. And then Harris also ran for 52 in his own. Like the running defense was a big issue in this game for Wyoming to slow them down because they rushed five yards of carry. And that was probably the biggest thing that kind of did them in when you look at kind of the, um, like per play stuff, obviously mm-hmm. that's where they got more out of it against Wyoming defense, which is usually very strong. But also, you're facing a really good running back. Like he's no, he's no slouch, man. We see he had what over a thousand yards. Was he freshman of the year in the MAC? Sia Bangura, yeah, freshman of the year in yeah, the MAC. Yeah, so like he's really good. He tried to turn over. Like kind of looking at the box score stuff, it's like okay, passing. Wyoming actually had a better pass per play, but the main difference we look at is running, running the ball there, and that was a big deal because penalties were similar. Wow, miss miss field goals and but it's if you're looking for what big problem a major part of the problem was that what Ohio didn't have like a ton of really explosive plays. What three, I think? Yeah, like their their longest play from scrimmage, I believe, was only 40 yards. It was the third it was a 40 yard run by Bangura in the in the third quarter. But they had uh, just on in general way more big plays. Than, than Wyoming did. You know, Wyoming oh, yeah, got, have, I believe, they yeah. got like 30% of their yardage on five plays and averaged, I think if I if my math was correct, 3.1 yards per play otherwise. For Ohio? And when you Wyoming? Can, Wyoming did. Oh, okay, gotcha. And when you compare that to what Ohio did, Ohio had basically twice as many chunk play yardage, twice as much rather, chunk play yardage as, as the Cowboys did. 12 plays, 217 yards total. They had at least five passing plays for 15 or more yards and at least two rushing plays for the save about 15 or more. So seven plays, yeah. of fi- at least seven plays of 15 or more yards. 
Yeah. And so that, and, and I think that is one of those things where it really doomed Wyoming in the long run, because, you know, I mentioned on, on there were seven of 11 on, on third and short, so four yards or fewer. That also meant that they were over five when there was five or more yards to go. Yeah. That's good math. And, and granted, Ohio <laughs> wasn't, and granted, Ohio wasn't great on their own third and long situations. They were only one of five, but a lot of the reason they were seven and 15 overall is because of those third and mid situations. They found ways to make plays and Wyoming didn't. Yeah. And that's the difference in this game. They, again, making plays, look what happened in overtime. Wyoming yeah. sells for a field goal. Ohio was able to go down and score a touchdown to win the game 30 to 27. Okay. So speaking of field goals, Yes, because we haven't we haven't touched upon that critical juncture late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with icing the kicker? Just in general? No, I think it's stupid. I think it could actually help a kicker because here's why I I heard a few people talk about not just this but ever lost situations because a lot of times a kicker goes up and well. First of all, let's back up. Did you see the end of the finish of the Ohio State game Georgia game where the guy booted it far left? Not even close. Oh, yeah. So a lot of – and but remember, they call it – was there a te- – ah, shit, now I'm spacing because I watched that game quickly. There's a lot of times, not just that scenario, but they call a timeout. The kicker follows through and just does a kick and, oh, he missed it. Oh, crap, he shouldn't have called timeouts. They know it's coming, but a lot of times it can alleviate nerves sometimes if you go through and follow through in the kick. And mm-hmm. whether you make it or not, because – like those are some pretty big deals. Like the title the title game online, the guy just terrible for Iowa State, misses it wide. But sometimes you get the timeout, you kick it through, and okay, I get the one kick out of the way, made it or not. Okay, I'm more relaxed, actually go through the motion, following through. I think it's to me, it's I don't think it statistically or proven wise, oh, they call a timeout and they miss it the second time or the first time. I don't think it matters because guess what? The kid knows it's coming. It's like there's probably be a timeout, you never know. I don't, unless it's like a new guy, like, I don't think it matters. You know what I mean? I have an opinion of like, if you have it, do it. But college, you can't call back-to-back timeouts. Unlike the NFL, well, not even then you can't, but you can't call like multiple timeouts. Like you see it, I forget. I forget what the rule is, but I know in college, you can't call back-to-back timeouts like that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. in the NFL. I'm like, I don't care. It's like, it doesn't, to me, it's, it doesn't matter. I don't think it does, but I'm not the guy kicking the ball out there with someone blind. So, so here's the thing. In Nathaniel Vacos, the the Ohio kicker, he was an all conference yes. kicker this year, mm-hmm. nineteen twenty three overall. We, we and he had a fifty five yarder earlier in the year against Western Michigan, but mm-hmm. in this game he had already missed from fifty three. The attempt that he was tasked with making was from fifty six. Yeah, <laughs> that's difficult for any kicker, which, which, by the way, sidebar real quick. Shout out to John Hoyland for setting the program record with for most field goals in a single season. He was two for two. He did his job in this game. Mm-hmm. But you're asking. So so you're you're defending a kicker trying to make what would be a career long. In you know the most pressure packed situation that you could ask for. Yeah. Why would you give him any kind of latitude? Oh, no, you, like I, 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 I mean, I, I understand that the studies show that like icing kickers doesn't really work at all. I just look at it as okay, you're this is the situation you're presented with. You go deal with it, and yeah. and let the chips fall where they may. 
Exactly. It's like they're like, oh, he'll think about it. I'm like, well, maybe he's more concentrated because we've seen. Think of this too. What's more of a pressure pack situation? Like more in the moment situation. They call the ice kicker call the timeout. Or you remember watching Baylor TCU how they had to run out with nine seconds, ten seconds to kick the ball mm-hmm. quickly on the run. Like I would think that would be more difficult than giving me an extra. Let's say they even call just a thirty second timeout because that that you can call a short one. Like to me, that's more pressure situation is to run out there and try to rush to get the fight with a yell fire or whatever go out there and hit mm-hmm. it line up in eight seconds that's more difficult than okay i could set my time it's a full timeout we can get exactly how i want to do talk to your holder hey remember hey we do this we do that it's like i got it. like it's let's walk it through i would rather have that situation give me a couple an extra minute or two to do that than oh crap run and go and hope you, everybody's on the same page quickly like you're on the sideline you're running in like I, I, so my radio show worked on, we played that call for something like we had, whatever we played the call and the radio call and the guys pretty calm. like, guys, you got plenty of time. You're good to go. But if you watch on TV, it's a different story. Not that they were scrambling, but they have all the guys on the sideline. They're like, go field goal kick. They run mm-hmm. out there. Your kickers running out there. Everybody's you're cause it's basically a whole new unit that's coming on the field. You're rushing from the sideline. So you're exerting energy. You want to line up. Don't switch. Don't do false start. Cause you're running and going like quickly. You're not having the time break the huddle, walk up there, settle, play clock, run it down. You have time to be more poised than running out. Because we also saw, remember, the Colorado State-Utah State game two years last season. Remember how bad that mm-hmm. ended up going, up running to get the kickoff? So I would rather think, ice kicker, whatever, whatnot, I would rather have that have more time to be focused and ready to go than running and going to get the kickoff with maybe 10 seconds. So, but that's why I come, up, come, up, come along the lines of that type of situation. I mean, I, I know it's really, I know it's really easy to like focus on a flashpoint like that. Yeah, but I think you know the bigger picture for Wyoming in in this game is like, it, I mean, they they came into it shorthanded as it was, so to keep yeah. it, and, and and which is not to say that Ohio didn't, of course, you know, Ohio was with was without Curtis Rourke as well. True, but man, it's just like it's the same things happening to the Cowboys over and over again, and. You know, yeah, they finished the year with another winning season. Like it's still the most successful stretch that this program has had in a very long time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like Cowboys fans have to be hoping for more at some point. That's what Ryan Thor- Thorburn. I have that article up here. Maybe we'll do some offseason stuff. Like it's time to dream. He basically title says it's time to dream bigger than seven and six under Greg Bull. Yeah, because I mean, they haven't, they haven't had, they've had one losing season since 2016, which at a place like Wyoming is like, you know, if, you, if you're taking like the class out bull point of view, like that's, not bad. that's as good, that's a, as good as a miracle in a lot of places. Like that's really hard to do. But yeah, they're, but yeah. they're, but they're running in place. And, Maybe that's it's going to be we're going to wrap up the game here. So that's maybe a longer offseason conversation. We go through these yeah, teams. What could have been different? You're right. But you're not wrong where it's like they've had when, um, was it Joe Tiller was there years back? They went to the WAC title game back in 96. Mm-hmm. They had Josh Allen obviously there. They've had Brian Hill. They've had um, Corrier, offensive lineman. I'm trying to write off from other guys like going to NFL. Jay Novacek was a tight end there back in the day, Hall of Fame tight end mm-hmm. with Dallas Cowboys. They've had talent there. It's just, the past two years kind of keeping talent around a little bit because there's the 
Craig Bull being a hard ass, so everybody's kind of improved on that this year. But guys are going to leave regardless because if you want money, NIL, I know there's oil money out there kind of, but it's not really there to pay. It's just, it depends. Like, what do you want, NIL or do you want, who knows? It's a bigger conversation. But to keep guys, there's a lot of different reasons. Like, Craig Bull's done a better job a little bit on that aspect. But guys are going to move on regardless. Because hey, yeah, I'm and good. It, you know, I guess I'm just saying, like, you know, there's plenty of reasons to think that they're going to remain competitive going into next year, even with all the players that they've lost. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Braden Siders and Devon Harris look like you know the next, you know, Johanna Guyfan and and uh, and Garrett Crawl. Like, so they're, also, they're, they're should... set there for the next couple of years at least. Like, Easton Gibbs had you know a pretty good season as well, and and the secondary also got better as the year progressed as well. And with all the running, with all the running back talent coming back too, but it's, you know, when we talk about them in spring ball, like the reality is we're going to be asking the same questions that we've been asking for the like five or six years now. It should be noted. The only losing record under Craig Bull recently is the 2020 year was two and the COVID year. Yeah. Yeah. He was two and four and eight, two and 10. But since then he's gone to bowl game every year. I know 2018, they got squeezed out a bit, but whatever bowl game it's, I get Thorburn's point. But you look at their last, the 2019 year was their best year since 2011. That was not, obviously not a Josh Allen year. Their best season ever is that 96 back title game with Joe Tiller, where they're a top 20 team, got to 22 at the lost to BYU in the title game going 10 and 2. And they mm-hmm. go to the bowl game because bowl games are weird back then. But they that's their best year literally ever. And now it's, we're coming up on 30 years on that. So I get his point because they've always been like close. Like there's been seven win seasons, eight win seasons, eight win. Like they've been right there. They just haven't been able to break through to get. Like they haven't had a nine win season since that same '96 year. And it's a question we're gonna ask. Okay, defense is always gonna be solid, which we know. Even losing transfers, running game seems to be losing guys like Dave Valade last year, Titus Swen. They all it seem to have running backs there, which is great on their finding talent. But they need to now get better. Not even more passing, but just more efficient in passing game. Mm-hmm. Like if Peasley goes, it's almost like San Diego State situation we talk about all the time. Going, throwing the ball 18 times, fine, but don't go six of 18, go 12 of 18. Like Peasley can run enough to where if he gets a combined 200 yards rushing and passing, that's probably all they need to be really good. I don't think that's too you know, much. You know what it kind of reminds me of? And I'm, and I'm sure that I've mentioned this before as well. Bill Connolly years ago had this idea of what he called Glenn Mason territory, mm-hmm. which, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar in Minnesota, the golden gophers were in a similar kind of situation. And, and I'm pulling up a preview from like 2011. So like, this is how long ago <laughs> we're talking where, and, and the way that he described it is like, you know, they keep making bowl games. They keep winning six to eight games a year. And I'm quoting from Connolly here, but fans begin to get impatient. The crazies begin to start yelling things like settling for mediocrity on talk radio and message boards. Season ticket sales begin to fade, and even the rational fans in the base begin to start wondering if a change is needed. And and they ended up, I believe, replacing Glenn Mason with Tim Brewster. That did not go well at all. Yeah, Tim Brewster's now at NC State OC, I think. Or he got I think so, yeah. I think he's got it. But yeah, it's... Uh... I don't think Craig Bull is doing a bad job. I think there's aspects of, again, we'll talk about this longer in off season, but there's aspects of this team where they want, if they were like, I always mentioned the 10% thing, 10% thing, just being a little bit better here and there. 
And yeah. it's, it goes for it goes for almost any team in the country. But when you see the same pattern of offense being can't throw the ball, and there's been injuries issues the past couple of years. This year, there's no injuries for the first time in a long time. Because remember when they had Levi Williams, who's hurt, Sean Chambers. They had mm-hmm. transfers to uh, Austin Austin Carter Samuels transfer injured stuff like that, where they've been fine, but not average. Like I don't know, it'd be fine, but they've they've seen talent. Like oh crap, he can't throw a run. The guy's transferring the last second. Last like last year happened in the portal. Mm-hmm. Like they have to they win their bowl game. There's aspects of the team. We, I think what fans really want is can we figure out this offense to be a little bit better? I don't expect them to think it should be a high flying thing. Like even with Josh Allen's there, offense was. He was only completing like fifty something percent of his passes. It wasn't elite or amazing. Mm-hmm. He just he just made plays, and with his arms and his legs, and they had Brian Hill running the ball, being an amazing running back. They had Travis. It was a Gentry, I think, one of the guys receivers they had out there. Tanner I Gentry, just think, yeah. Tanner Gentry, not Yeah, he's somewhere in the NFL or close to it, or was at some point. But I think the offense just gets a little bit better. I think that's what fans want. I think I think fans are. It's okay to want more, guys. It's fine. Like, I want my team to win nine games. I want my team to – they were in the running for the division title late in the year, those last couple of games. They just were not close to Boise State and free plus loss to as well last couple of games, whatever. But I think fans are okay, but it's fine to want – I want my team to progress. If they're stagnant, but you're – the Glenn Mason thing is correct in Minnesota, it's like, okay, they're fine, but you do run that risk of, okay, let's bring in a coach somewhere else who will go six and six. And then you take a step eight. backwards. Yeah, and so, but you do want to progress and get forward, and he's changed OCs, but bringing in freaking a guy from Polsek from Ohio, from Ohio, Iowa, excuse me, to come in. I I just think their main issue is finding a quarterback off a passing game that's more efficient. Does it need to be more? Maybe a little more explosive would be helpful as well as we saw in this game. There weren't that many big plays, but being able to pass the ball better is what they really think. Defense is fine. They can't keep up with teams when they're scoring points. That's a thing. Like they're not gonna scoring thirty points is difficult for them at the moment, for the most part. So I kind of think that's what they need to do in the offseason. We'll be discussing all of that. And just like real quick, like oh crap, I closed the FBS schedule. But am I wrong? Like that's their big thing. They get a more efficient. Like honestly, I joke about Christian Chapman standing in seat, but that's kind of what they will. If they had that, they'd be really good. And then he was a good. Well, yeah, I mean, to, to your point, they scored thirty yeah. points against one FBS opponent this year. Yeah, and as, as I was kind of, and that was all the way that was all the way back in week one when they beat Tulsa, and they needed what double overtime to do that. That's right. You had a couple overtimes in that game, and so it's like, I don't know, man. It'll be, it'll be we're going to pick this up in March again, I'm sure. Yeah, it's really quick. Here's what they play in, the, in their off season, or not uh, preseason, really quick. Just kind of an idea. They Texas Tech at home, at home. They get Texas Tech with Joey McGuire. That'll be. Uh, Difficult. Hey, remember, hey, dude, remember they brought UT Austin into town, the uh, University of Texas Longhorns to town. That's true. That? And Utah's making a trip out there. So, so I don't know how their 80s pulling home and homes with all these Pac 12, Big 12 teams. They also have they have Texas Tech at home. Portland State should be fine at home. They go to Texas, who's improving, and we'll see if that's Arch Manning game. We'll see if it's him or, uh, Brock, or not Brock Hewitt. Um, Quinn Ewers, Rock here, you hear the old uh, UW quarterback and Alan Fox. Yeah. They, they host at, and they also host App State. So they get three non-con at home. That's a pretty difficult slate, and they're going to obviously need points versus Texas Tech. They'll need points against all those teams, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not Portland State. Like Texas, they have a good defense, so that'll be potentially a lowish scoring game because we saw when they played Alabama and other teams where Texas offense is good, but 
not putting up 50 points, 40 points. But App State, they'll need points. We remember seeing that North Carolina game where it just went crazy in that in that second half. So mm-hmm. that'll be difficult, difficult things. But I think their main thing, offseason quarterback play is what we'll kind of focus on and receiver play. So anything else to add about the uh, – as we kind of do a mini preview for Wyoming football for next year? I believe we are good to go for now. All right, we'll be back. We're not going anywhere. We are here all the time. MWR.com. Oh, excuse me. That was going to sneeze there, Matt, but I don't want to sneeze in the podcast. That would be uh, inappropriate and unprofessional. We're going to be back Sunday as we record this. What What's today? January 2nd, I believe. So yes. if you're traveling, whatnot, we'll get this later tonight, January 2nd. I'll post it in shortly. We're going to do kind of a best of the bowl season. As I joked before, we'll we'll discuss a little bit of the national title game. Why not? It's TCU Horned Frogs. We, we know them pretty well. And we'll, we'll give a little insight to that game just because why not make some picks. But we're going to start moving on to the offseason a little bit. We'll look at the bowl season. We'll maybe do kind of, hey, what if one thing happened this season for teams? Kind of have some fun with that to see what's going on throughout the conference. And we'll kind of move along toward, because I guarantee, doesn't Air Force start spring football like in literally a month? Essentially, them and San Diego State start in February. They tend to start a little sooner than everybody else, yeah. So we'll kind of keep an eye out on that to see what Aztecs and Falcons and everybody else has. But that'll be it for today. Just again, MWR.com, Twitter, MWC Wire. And we'll just be tweeting up hoops, football, all sorts of stuff. And we'll be back in a couple of days as we normally are.